right, all right. It's downtown Josh Brown. Welcome to the compound. Tonight we are doing the battle for Disney. And man, do I have an illustrious guest uh, <laughs> to help me figure out what's going on. Uh, so I assume many of you out there are shareholders in Disney. Uh, even if you don't know you are, you probably are by virtue of your mutual funds, your index funds. Uh, but many of you are, are shareholders and you have been for a long time. And this has been a battleground stock and it hasn't always been that way. Uh, but right now there's a lot happening and here to talk about it is Professor Jeff Sonnenfeld. Jeff is currently the Senior Associate Dean for Leadership Studies and the Lester Crown Professor in Management Practice at the Yale School of Management. Jeff is also the founder of the Chief Executive Leadership Institute, a nonprofit educational and research institute focused on CEO leadership and corporate governance. Professor, thank you so much for joining us this evening. I appreciate it. Oh, wait, we're muted. Mute, mute, mute. And now you're up. Oh, great. Now I'm, we got I'm you. never shy either, so that was a moment of frustration. Thank he you. Said, that's the most silence we're going to get out of Jeff the entire the entire experience, I promise uh, you guys. I know. So many people would love to mute me too. I think my wife must have hit that button when I wasn't looking. <laughs> so, uh, Jeff, your your uh, bio is extremely long, and I've, I've truncated it. But suffice it to say, uh, you are considered one of the foremost authorities on – things like CEO succession and uh, 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 shareholder activism and how boards of directors deal with activists. And you've written uh, eight books, over 100 articles. You've got a column at Fortune. People have seen you on CNBC. Is this particular battle something that you feel uh, has been a long time coming? Or were you surprised? Because a year ago, it looked as though Disney had fought off Nelson Peltz and Tryon, and he was going to go away, and the company was going to right the ship. And then a year later, here we are back with, uh, uh, I think, an even he more heated version of what we had seen in 2022. What's your What's your take on like how we got here? Uh, the The take is, uh, and by the way, thank you for that uh, fantastic uh, CV bio sketch. I think. A third uh, of your of your viewers, listeners have already decided to hate me right away. In fact, I started to dislike myself a bit as you no, went no. through those great credentials. Uh, no, but no. Thank, thank you so much for those kind words. Is uh, This is an incredibly special time. Of, of all things, I, I mean, it's amazing you have this time for tonight as the, uh, you know, the shareholders, of course, will vote in, in April. And uh, it's a pivotal point. Uh, they have a clear choice between the real wizard of the magic kingdom and this, uh, this uh, kind of a fake illusionist that's uh, that's that smoke and mirrors is it's uh, you know, with earnings coming out, I guess this Wednesday after yeah. market close the, the, the February 5th, that's now is the date of record for anyone who wants to vote at this annual meeting in that first week of April. So this is an especially uh, I think exciting moment and it's a grudge match, a one-sided grudge match. It's a vendetta motivated by the, the grandiosity and uh, the lack of much for Nelson Peltz to do. You know, if we if we weren't being recorded, I would suggest that maybe somebody should suggest that this octogenarian uh, pick up a shuffleboard or, or, uh, or bingo or something. Uh, but I wouldn't say something like that because I'm a longstanding member of the National Council on Aging. And I don't want to make an ageist comment or we won't have any presidential candidates yet. But I think this is a guy who has time to kill and uh, he's leveraging other people's money. Jeff, you know? can, 
Jeff, can I, um, so can I, (laughs) well, no. So I want to, I want to give people some idea about maybe from the other, from the other side, why there's an activist. There are multiple activists in the stock, um, why they're there to begin with. So, uh, Bob Iger became the CEO in 2005 and had one of the greatest runs of all CEOs of this company going back to Walt Disney himself. I believe the stock appreciated something on the order of 600%. And in that same period of time, the S&P 500 looked more like 200%. And Iger really went out on top. In 2019, uh, they were talking about doing Disney+. Plus. The pandemic hit. And before the end of that year, they, they had really ramped it into the second largest streaming platform. Uh, in the, and they launched it globally. And it was a huge success. And Bob Iger... Uh, had stepped down, handed the reins to the successor, and it looked like he got the happy ending after his, uh, I don't know how many years that is, 16-year tenure as CEO. Uh, But it didn't go that way, and the company ended up struggling in the post-pandemic period because building out that streaming service was really expensive. And then, of course, questions about the linear networks and ESPN, and the stock got cut in half. And that is the that is the, the 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 reason why we have activists in the stock, and that's the reason why anyone is listening to them. That's a fair. You would say that that's a fair setup for for what's happened so far. That that absolutely is a fair setup. Uh, that's why, in fact, Iger came back in. Uh, that's true too. Everything that you just said about the underperformance of those two years after he left were the two years after he left. That's he. Right. Is you know Iger had I don't know sixteen or seventeen of the biggest uh, box office all time box office movies in, in twenty nineteen he had like a dozen or so maybe a dozen and a half uh, billion dollar plus films just that one year alone his last year Iger didn't cross a billion in any film and all those disasters of this past summer Star Wars or whatever it's Chapek who greenlighted them so that's why that's why Peltz came in he created a highly centralized structure choking off decision making. People were, uh, you know, frustrated that it was destroying the creative zest of the place. But as soon as Iger came in, three days, Josh, three days after Iger came in, uh, Peltz was already calling him nonstop, uh, you know, no less than 24 times uh, last year that he, he he wouldn't take no for an answer. 24 times he wanted to push his way on the board. What does this guy have to bring to the board? He has no expertise in this area. He's offered not a single idea. Uh, and it's just complaining about uh, uh, Iger's underperformance literally three days onto the job. It's, is, it's, it, is, it, is it fair, though, uh, Jeff, to say Bob Chapek was the hand-picked successor uh, of Bob Iger, therefore this string of box office flops, the creative uh, stranglehold, some of the decisions made about raising prices at the parks, some of these issues currently plaguing Disney uh, indirectly – stem from Iger's succession process from his first tenure. Uh, is, is it like, is it fair to go back and, and Monday morning quarterback that situation? No. <laughs> okay. Why not? It's not. It, we would, we might've said that in the old days, but uh, you couldn't even say that about Michael Eisner, who after Bob Iger is the third greatest person, uh, uh, media baron probably, uh, since Walt Disney is Michael Eisner, as you call, as you recall, of course, was the 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 mentor, tormentor of Bob yeah. Iger. And when uh, he ran it for about 20 years, his first 
10 were fantastic. And his last two weren't bad, uh, but he had a terrible eight years in the middle. And the board took charge of the succession process. And in fact, uh, one of the nicest gifts that Michael Eisner could have given Bob Iger was to throw him under the bus. People would have thought he's a suit who was a toady to Eisner. He wasn't. He was his own guy, as he proved very quickly. But Eisner, in his own autobiography, uh, trashed Iger. Uh, So that was a great gift to make him his independence, to be his own guy. Uh, And in fact, similarly now, is that uh, Chapek was the board's candidate. Bob Iger did not ram this through. This, this, uh, this is, uh, unfortunately, uh, boards don't always get it right, uh, but this day and age is very rare to see somebody who's pushed in there as a protege on the coattails. In the past, you know, I, I wrote a book I would love to sell people on called The, uh, the Hero's Farewell. Well, it was about for 11 minutes, a bestseller. Before this came out, it used to be, I would talk to CEOs three generations back, I'm that, that old, who would tell me, our succession plan, I have it right here in the drawer, it's locked, and if something happens to me, the board can you know unlock it and find out who my successor is. Those days are long gone. This Bob Chapek was the board's choice, and he's a very nice guy. He was a bad choice. He wasn't the right guy to run a very creative global business with complex consumer uh, issues and, and a volatile technology. So I was going to ask you about that. Chapek, uh, I guess, had had uh, become well-known and well-respected within the company and by shareholders because of the success of the parks, which he primarily oversaw. The parks, other than COVID, were not the issue here. In fact, you could argue they are the, currently the best functioning part of Disney. The real issues here involve technology, programming, uh, the film slate, the the budgets, and these were things that Chapek really was not uh, running firsthand. So maybe that's uh, the original sin in the succession. They just it was the wrong person. Is there, is there some merit to that idea? Uh, yeah, it, it, I think that's exactly right. It is. Um, there was a time where they had a, a wild mix of businesses, Arvita real estate and things like that. That part of Michael Eisner's greatness was getting out of things they should never have been in. It was right. a period of time where uh, consulting firms filled with MBAs were, were teaching people to diversify the portfolio of the businesses they were in instead of recognizing that every shareholder can diversify their own portfolio and that people who know a business should invest in that business. So I, Eisner got them back focused in the media business. And the of course, we know that this, the cartoon studios were more abundant, things like that. But it was it was. Iger, who then catapulted them way forward by bringing in Marvel and, and Pixar and, and you know, uh, all these sort of creative uh, Lucasfilm Lucasfilms that nobody else could have woven that together other than Bob Iger with with the Kevin uh, Mayer while working with him as his protege to weave these things together is these were brilliant. And so the creative side is something that's very different, though, than. Uh, then the safety and predictability and stability of the institutional of the the park side. It's a whole different kind of factory like right. business, but to have that cross pollination uh, as only Iger could do is the magic, at least so far to create something new and exciting. When you have new films coming out, a new franchise, whether or not it's frozen or whatever, start to start to build rides and entertainment and, and activity around that in the parks. And uh, you know, it was something that wasn't Chapek's strength. Now, Tom Staggs, was very good on that area and very much to uh, to Iger's credit, amazingly, he brought Stags back in now, which is something that every investor should celebrate, as well as bringing in, uh, bringing in Kevin Mayer 
who was the genius behind the, the launch of Disney Plus uh, as it was originally planned. And obviously, Chapek overbuilt it and pumped out way too much that the public couldn't digest and they got confused. But uh, the creation of Disney Plus and then weaving together, of course, of LucasArts and, and Pixar and Marvel, as you were pointing out before, Kevin did a lot to do it. So it was incredible to have the um, the magnetism to pull that kind of talent back in, along with Alan Bergman, some of the other fantastic stars that he has on the team. It's it's an amazing mix. It's an amazing mix of talent. You, you know, uh, it, it, occur, it occurs to me, Jeff, uh, there have been activists involved in Disney before. And when, when you're dealing with new technology and new methods of distribution, uh, everyone has an opinion. And I remember during the building of Disney Plus, uh, Dan Loeb, who at the time at, thir at Third Point had a stake in Disney, and wrote an open letter, and he wanted everyone to see what his advice was. And it was, I think, cut the dividend and triple down on streaming. Spend as much money as you have to. And in fairness, that was the 0% interest rate era, and that logic did make sense uh, maybe you know four or five years ago. Um, but that was the course they ended up taking. They didn't quite cut the dividend yet, but they they did take that that path of, you know what? We need to build this as large as possible, as fast as possible, so that we are one of only two or three streaming apps that people will pay for. Um, and then all of a sudden, the interest rate picture changed. So my question to you is, was the strategy the wrong one at first, uh, or, or was the strategy always the wrong one? Or was it the right one, and then they didn't pivot quickly enough uh, for market conditions? Because it's rare for this stock to be in a 50% drawdown. And to stay in a 50% drawdown for as long as it has is almost unheard of. Well, it's, it, it, the answer is is yes and yes. They were It was right to get in in a big way. And Disney Plus is the second biggest player in that streaming space. That's right. However, however um, uh, they did overexpand and they started to push out qual uh, quantity over quality. And what Iger has brought in is much more of a uh, quality focus. So, They've been uh, rationalizing a lot. They've been not just cutting staff dramatically, uh, but he also has uh, been been focusing content and product. And they've had to do that uh, not only because the pipeline couldn't take the confusion all that was coming out there so much under Bob Chapek, but obviously it's gotten a lot more competitive with all the other streaming uh, uh, platforms out there. That this is this has been an incredible transformation, and they I think they're responding to to that uh, appropriately. Uh, they're, they're, his plan is to have streaming profitable by the end of 2024, uh, improve the quality of movies, content, turbocharging growth in parks. And I think uh, I think he's on the trail to, to do all that. You know, amazingly, the stock is is up five percent. You might think, well, is that a lot to brag about? Name any other turnaround that anybody listening or talking to us right now would would point to uh, who do you want? Michael Dell, uh, Howard Schultz, uh, uh, Steve Jobs. You didn't see this, uh, those remarkable turnarounds uh, in this period of time. Just in the first year, Michael Dell, who is a, I have to admit, is a personal friend of mine. I'm a big fan of his. He was down at 17, over 17 and a half percent his first year in the turnaround. Iger's up 5%. Now in three years, he had a three times return over Dell, which is fantastic. Similarly, if you take a look at uh, at uh, Howard Schultz, uh, Howard Schultz has been a friend too. He was down by almost half. He was down by forty eight and a half percent the first year. 
but he was up by 63% after three years. So th these kind of turnarounds, when somebody comes back in, it, in this book that I was just hawking for you, it's a very old book, so you don't have to buy it, but it was Oxford University Press. It's just you had to know somebody to find out where they were selling it. It was like on the cover of Sports Illustrated, when we used to have Sports Illustrated, it was, it was the featured book in the Fortune 500 issue of, of Fortune, and yet the publisher was bragging that they were out of stock, and it's crazy. Uh, but these people who come back in, are I've called, classified them as generals. They, they come back in, they hit the ground running. The Second World War is a triumph of these kind of generals. MacArthur, MacArthur. Jeff, let me, let me quote you because I read the book this weekend in preparation for this. You, so said, you said in The Hero's Farewell, a returning general brings opportunities and perils, but that is not unique to media business. The Allied success in World War II was a triumph of returning general types from mothballed retirement back into active service. The callbacks to duty of Generals MacArthur, Patton, Montgomery, and de Gaulle, and retired statesmen like Winston Churchill provided confidence and wisdom as they hit the ground running. And you draw the, the parallel to Steve Jobs, Michael Dell, Larry Page, and Howard Schultz in their respective companies. Uh, what is it about the returning general that uh, maybe is not being appreciated here? Because I agree with you. It's been one year. We want to turn around a Dow 30 company in 12 months. And when you look at the comps, they're even worse. You look at Warner Brothers, Paramount is on fire as we speak. So, you know, the, I, I know you want Netflix to be the comp. We, we would all like that to be the comp. It's probably much further away than the other names I just mentioned. It's, That's it's, right. It's, it's so unfair for Pelts to use uh, Netflix uh, as – as the art sticks in Netflix didn't have the whole inherited legacy business base and everything that we see with Paramount. I'm a, a big fan of, of what they're trying to do at Paramount. And of course, Warner brothers discovery, but they're very hard. And Disney uh, compared to those peers uh, it's, it's transformative. It still is the preeminent entertainment company uh, and uh, being up 5% is notable in the midst of this turnaround. So I think it's quite impressive. I'm thrilled to tears that you actually did read The Hero's Farewell and quoted from it so accurately. And, and Josh, this is our longest conversation ever, but this can't be our last because I'm, I've always been a huge fan of yours, of oh, course, you. uh, but I, I can't believe you've, you've read my, uh, thank my you. dusty old work. I am, I am very thorough and uh, we, take this, we take this stuff really seriously and, and I, I, I actually liked, uh, I liked the book a lot. So it was not a labor uh, by any stretch. Okay, I want to talk about I want on any sale. No, 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 sure. no. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about the vote now. Um, so so that's that's how we've gotten here. Okay, so Nelson Peltz is a uh, billionaire uh, hedge fund activist. He has been involved in many high profile activist situations. Some uh, he's triumphed. Some he's he's been turned back by the corporation. And you have chronicled this probably more uh, meticulously than anyone I could think of. You've writ written several columns on uh, why you think that he does not bring to the table what he claims to bring to the table. Um, but his 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 involvement here, we thought he was we thought he was gone last year. Iger comes back. You say within three days he's on the phone. I need board seats. So far, I don't think publicly. Anyone has heard specifically what Tryon would do with those board seats? What is the strategy that they are recommending relative to the turnaround that you believe 
Bob Iger already has in place. Do I have that right? Is that the, the current yeah, situation? Yeah, I'd love to see that. You know, we haven't even seen a slide deck here. And this is now the, you know, the, the close of when you can uh, register to vote. Where's the slide deck? Where are the ideas that Nelson Peltz have other than let me sit there uh, and, uh, and, and join your meetings? Uh, they've tried different ways to placate him, which, uh, you know, I, I think is, is unfortunate. They've suggested you know, other candidates that can join. They've offered him an observer seat on the board. They've given a consultant advisory arrangement, which I think is crazy. I can't see what what he would add. Uh, they, it's sort of the way. Uh, well, Carol he told he told uh, he told Andrew Ross Sorkin a few weeks ago, special advisor doesn't vote. So there's something about he and uh, Jay, Jay Rasulo, who is the former CFO. He would also like a board seat for um, there's something about having the vote. And it's a it's a large board. So I'm not sure that's not a deciding vote, but there's something about having that vote. He believes would force them to listen to him. No, it's what he wants. It's He wants to be on the coattails of greatness. He can see that we are in this uh, hockey stick curve, that this thing is about to take a big upswing, that Iger knows exactly what he's doing. As you said, these returning generals, they know where the bodies are buried. There's a reason why we go back to these people that know the land in a time of crisis, like the Second World War and other times we went to those great heroes. Uh, and and Peltz just wants to to glom onto the the, the credit because he's going to see a Michael Dell or a Howard Schultz or Steve Jobs uh, type return here, and he wants to be on the coattails of that. His own performance, as you as you hinted at, has been miserable. Nobody ever holds Peltz responsible. And you know, I even ran my numbers past him, and he just said back to me in an email, "Jeffrey, just check your numbers." But he's never disputed them. Months later, is uh, if you take a look at, he's dramatically Peltz has dramatically underperformed the S and P 500 by an average of six percent on the majority of the boards in which he served: Wendy's, Unilever, MSG Sports, Mondelez, Cisco, Janus, Henderson, Leg Mason. They've been disasters under him. Uh, you know, and if you have a non-Peltz. Uh, family member and some other trying representatives are, you know, GE, uh, his son, his, his uh, son-in-law, BNY Mellon, Family Dollar. Uh, they, they've, they've performed terribly. In fact, he tries to claim credit for uh, having, you know, pushed out uh, Jeff Immelt. He was Jeff Immelt's biggest backer and that became Tryon's biggest stake when he joined at the time in, 20, uh, in 2015. He said, uh, Jeff Immelt is executing a bold transformation October 2015. We have a longstanding relationship with Jeff Immelt, and we believe that investor skepticism towards management has created a mispriced security. Today, GE is Trian's, Trian's largest investment ever. Well, that's just ridiculous. This, this is crap. You know, he's basically uh, tries to rewrite history, but his history is terrible. I, there's, I don't know an activist who has the track record as bad as this or any investor listening that it so consistently has underperformed. But with there's a lot of this locker room bravado making a lot of smoke and mirrors, he distracts away from his own poor performance. He's shuttering his own funds, circling the drain at the shutdown, his European funds and other things. And even his son-in-law has left and said there's not much for them to do anymore. So that's uh, that's pretty pathetic. So that's why he's he's looking. It's not his own money, of course. It's like Permanent's money that he's trying to represent so I want so I want So I want to get into that. Uh, there's, there's a couple of things. The first is Ike Perlmutter was uh, was he the chairman of Marvel, Marvel who sold it to Disney? Do I have that right? Yeah, he came in okay. basically as as an, almost an activist of sorts, and yeah. uh, and had a a, a pretty uh, uh, custodial reign selling this into Disney, uh, and yeah. and was uh, was uh, certainly uh, well, he's, a he's a polar yeah he's a, 
he's a polarizing figure internally at Disney uh, for a long time. And, uh, you know, there were some things about some, oh, you got muted again. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Go. I was just going to say Kevin Feige, uh, not to use names, but here among friends and family, it, the, yeah. the brilliant head of Marvel was really being worn down and intimidated. Iger was trying, had to protect him. And thankfully he survived the two years that Iger was away and they got Perlmutter out of there. Frankly, if I was to criticize Iger for anything, it, he should have pushed uh, Perlmutter out of there years earlier. It it, 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 it had a corrosive effect on the creative culture there, just like, as we see on any boards where where, uh, where uh, Peltz is sat. By the way, Peltz is a very charming person, but he can be like a dripping faucet on these boards. People on the Procter & Gamble board told me the only thing he ever advised, suggested they do, is to move the headquarters out of Cincinnati. When they asked him why, he said, well, I don't know. It's just, you know, something to do. As There's been point to any suggestions he had for, for GE or for, you know, uh, Mondelez or for any of these poor performers that he's had. And uh, he's even the subject of an activist himself coming after him for his mismanagement of Wendy's. I want to, uh, I, I, so I want to ask the 25 million shares that Ike Perlmutter has uh, in Disney. It's a, it's a pretty big standalone stake. It's bigger than most of the funds, the individual funds that own Disney. It's bigger than their stakes. And uh, those, those votes are going with Nelson Peltz. So he's got some kind of a deal um, and, you know, openly with Ike Perlmutter uh, for the, for the voting of those shares outside of those 25 million shares. How many, how many more votes does he currently have? Uh, I I don't know, but Ike is uh, you. That sounds like a lot of shares. I have to put that in context, Josh, that's only 2% of, of of Disney's uh, outstanding shares. So I don't know if Iger's got all 98%. Uh, yeah. but I don't think those 2% matter all that much, despite all the, all the noise. Try and on seven. So 25 yes. and seven. Okay. And, and there isn't a listener right now, if their life, in fact, if your life depended on it, <laughs> that could say that they know anybody who's come to Ike Permotter support. Nobody had, you know, have any of these large uh, institutional investors or other investors uh, had has anybody voiced any support for Permotter? There's No, there's not a plan to support there. They know that it is uh, uh, it is just some grudge match, much grudge match between some retirees looking to try to get a last flicker of the candle. As uh, this is as Peltz melts down. Peltz said that uh, one of Disney's primary arguments against his having a board seat is that he doesn't have media experience. His response is, "I don't claim to have any, but Disney just broke a record. Its last five movie releases in a row lost money." Is there is there some merit to the argument that maybe what's needed here is not another Disney Imagineer? Maybe it's somebody that's a little bit more focused on the business performance and 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 not an expert on, uh, you know, which which uh, actor to cast or which title to to greenlight. Uh, Disney under Iger produced eleven of the twelve biggest box office hits all time, uh, and under Chapek we had the disasters of. Uh, Star Wars, the overpromoted Black Widow, Encanto, Thor, Love, uh, Thunder, Pinocchio, Black Panther, uh, one caught of this is Permutter is uh, JPEG was Permutter's guy. Uh, so what's what's the uh, what's the creative success there? It's it's pretty weak. Uh, in fact, so uh, uh, you know Kevin Feige, uh, these are these are great talent to have. There's a very strong team of. Uh, of, uh, of creatives that they have in the organization. 
they have a very effective uh, a business management team that's come together, uh, and they're just starting to to do the right things now at Disney. So I can't see how uh, uh, putting people on the board uh, that are non-creatives. He's you know uh, Iger canceled twelve of Chapek's uh, movies that he started. They're such disasters. But you know, uh, uh, but who does Disney have on the board? Well, Mary Barra. I mean, can you probably? I can't think of a better CEO in the country. Look at the even despite the strike, uh, the great uh, returns that she's brought into General Motors, deep experience and strategy and innovation, uh, and and cybersecurity. Say, uh, uh, James James Gorman, uh, James Morgan Gorman. Stanley, who just pulled off his own succession. Uh, it seems yes, fairly, fairly well. Fairly well, right? Uh, you have Amy Chang, a, a former EVP of of Cisco, who's uh, Got tr uh, tremendous, uh, tremendous insights there. I think, uh, you know, Safra Katz, of course, is a, a, a for Oracle. great strategy, cybersecurity and everything, all that expertise. A former CEO of Sky, Jeremy uh, Darich, Sir Jeremy Darich, uh, Karen Everson, a former a board uh, president of Instacart. And, 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 you know, Dan Loeb's representative on the board, by the way, doing really well. Former U.S. trade rep, Michael Froman, who uh, in terms of all the international relations that they have to wrestle with, uh, the, I mean, it's it's a, across the board. Uh, Michael Mark Parker, uh, that uh, it was a very difficult succession that he went through at Nike, of a, a succeeding a very creative founder, Phil Knight, that didn't work out first time for Phil Knight, uh, and and uh, but Mark came in, and even that failed successor uh, has has uh, lauded what Mark Parker did as an extraordinary job of developing markets in, in Europe and China and all the rest and creating the women's lines for Nike and everything else. Uh, it really knows cons consumer goods extremely well. Former EVP of, of, of CVS, uh, uh, Dorico Rice. I mean, these are a lot better than any of the, uh, the drones that, uh, that Iger is packing in there. Uh, I mean, that, uh, that, uh, that they're being advanced by, you know, by pelts. I mean, these well, are Rasselow is the former CFO and Disney was highly profitable during his tenure as CFO. It, is there no benefit at all to bring someone back in who was a part of Bob Iger's heyday um, to, to maybe just look at what's look at what's happening and offer comment or no, is there something no. about Rasselow that, that makes that not make sense anymore? I don't know Rasselow personally. Uh, and I have no reason to disparage him other than the fact that, Josh, uh, people distort the, the Rasselow uh, career trajectory. He's been out of there for almost a decade. Yeah. He's been out of there for almost a decade. He was 2015. So here we are, 20, we're, you know, 2024. Rasselow left on bad terms after Tom Staggs won a power struggle with him. So it's another kind of vengeful effort. Uh, and again, mm -hmm. I don't see anything wrong about, about Jay Rasulo, but he – he was a candidate to uh, to succeed Iger at one point. So many people thought so. Uh, and uh, uh, so I think that's what's going on there. The guy's been out of there for about a decade. He was there for some of the some of the really good times, but not all the best times. I mean, these those years after he left were fantastic. So uh, I don't know why uh, he's been uh, recruited to come back in. But uh, certainly the, the talent they have is uh uh, it, uh, is, is sufficient without uh, without bringing uh, Jay's uh, un uh, unfulfilled career agenda back in. I want to I want to have you react to something that Bill Cohen wrote at Puck. He said, "I guess the fact that Peltz and Rasulo would be speaking for thirty two point four million Disney shares worth some three billion dollars, about two hundred times the number of shares 
owned by the non-Disney management on the board could account for some moral suasion. But I confess, I've never quite understood the theory about waging an expensive proxy battle. You spend millions of dollars if you win. What are you left with? Two seats on a 12-member board for one year and a whole lot of acrimony. Since it's one vote per person on a corporate board, how do you get your way having only two seats when you've pissed off the other board members? That's not enough votes to get anything done uh, that he wants to get done, meaning Nelson Peltz. Do you, do you agree with that? Is, it, is the whole thing I, just I a waste of time and money? I agree with almost everything that Bill Cohen says. His analysis of the lacrosse team uh, crisis back at Duke, and he wrote a massive book about that. He was a great Lazard investment banker. He's an old friend of mine, I have to say. Uh, and I think when he takes a look at media, he's he's absolutely brilliant. He's a terrific writer. He's, he's one of the best financial writers out there. And it's a, I think everybody on this on this call should know that Bill Cohen has flipped against Peltz and Ike, uh, I, I, Perlmutter, as you have seen, and, and the way you implied there. And he thinks it's all about Peltz's ego, and he's right. Uh, so let's so walk us through what's about to happen. Today was the the record date. So if you own Disney shares as of today's close, you have a vote. But most of these votes will be cast by institutions, and in this day and age, a lot of those votes will be cast by passive investors, ETFs, uh, index funds. What do you think we're about to witness as we get closer to April in terms of Peltz's campaign? which is called Restore the Magic, and in terms of Disney's counteroffensive, and especially what they're going to want to talk about on the earnings call in two days. Well, map, I, map out your expectations for us. My expectation, what my hopes would be, is that the kinds of names that people whisper about, we're going to see that you could almost close your eyes and reach into Iger's management team, and any one of them, any one of them, is the high likelihood of being a, a fantastic successor in a crisis or in a planned succession. It, and that those people like Hugh Johnson, Hugh Johnson is, I can't think of a better CFO in the country. He did, as you know, a fantastic job at PepsiCo. It, I, I, my only complaint about Hugh Johnson is that nobody asked me if he would be the perfect pick to come in as CFO and Iger and the board came up with this all on their own. I wish I could take some credit for it. Hugh <laughs> Johnson is fantastic. He speaks like a general manager though, too. You know that in every earnings call, uh, it, it wasn't the current CEO of PepsiCo we were hearing from. It was Hugh Johnston. He could speak about all the beverage and strategy and global affairs issues and ESG, whatever it is. He is a great business leader. That's Hugh Johnston. Dana Walden, Alan Bergman uh, of, 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 of Disney Entertainment. Dana Walden, of course, is, is a, a television. Josh DeMauro from Disney Theme Parks. Jimmy Pitaro with a difficult job at ESPN. Uh, these are fantastic. In, in addition to to, uh, to Tom Staggs and, and and you know, as we mentioned, uh, Kevin coming back in. Kevin was an old student of mine uh, at the uh, the Evil Harvard Business School, so I'm partial to Kevin. But it's a great group, uh, and and that we're going to see more of that how that talent is working. And I would think at the shareholders meeting, there's going to be a lot to a lot to brag about about the the. Uh, uh, the view that this group has and where they're going. I mean, it's a joke. Peltz has very little skin in the game himself. Of his 30 million uh, sh uh, shares, 25 million actually belong to Ike Permutter. What, what is he doing? He's just riding the coattails of somebody else. Uh, and uh, I, I think that uh, we're going to, it's inconceivable that, uh, that this board isn't going to be fortified uh, by the shareholders and the shareholders are going to feel they're on the right track and they should know that it takes about three years for a returning general to perform these kind of turnarounds. And there's there, 
you ask, you know, anybody in the media business, if there's anybody better than Bob Iger out there, uh, there isn't. It's hard to think of somebody. And, and he also, by the way, in this personality infused business is a refreshingly low ego. Is he without ego? No, but he's he's somebody who's a problem solver. He can work with creative talent. He can work with financial executives. He's strategy minded. He has great operational skills. It's an unusual blend. Now, the mix of people that he has on his team, there are a lot of them there that could do elements of that. And there'd be some complementary mix of those people who would probably be the ideal successor to Bob Iger. But they're there right now on that team. Is that the group we ran through? Again, you could reach any well, one of so, them. So I wanted to ask you. Uh, so one of the thing one of the things that the activists have said and and uh, analysts have said is that perhaps seventy one billion dollars for twenty first century Fox was not the greatest price paid for an acquisition. You have pushed back and said actually they sold the regional sports network at the top, which is now bankrupt. Uh, right. Great sale. They um, brilliant they, timing. Brilliant yeah, they, timing. So, so they sold. They, they got they got a they got a stake in Hulu. They sold they sold some assets. It's not really seventy one billion. It's probably closer to thirty or forty billion. But they also did get really important content for the launch of Disney Plus. They had The Simpsons on day one. That's a major coup. That's a ton of that's a ton of content. And they had a lot of other things like that. They also got Dana Walden, who is I think the chief executive of Disney's television business. Is that a likely successor in your? Is that the kind of person that Bob Iger should be playing up uh, as as they wage this proxy fight going into the vote? Well, the uh, Bob Iger and the board. I think Dana Walden, uh, of course, Alan Bergman, Josh Tomorrow. Uh, these are all great people. And, and again, the finance nerd is not a finance nerd. Hugh Johnston is a great uh, general manager uh, potential, but Dana Walden would I think she uh, would do a fantastic job. But you're absolutely right. People uh, and like Peltz regularly like to misclassify uh, that 20th Century Fox deal. $71 billion? No. $11 billion to Sinclair right off the top, uh, selling off the regional sports network. And that was fantastic, bringing down the deal. And, and as you mentioned, it that was, uh, was that, that was Diamond? Yes, that, that became the Diamond right. Sports Network that just declared bankruptcy. So good for them Great for sale. getting out of it. And Comcast, you know, sell, selling the Sky to Comcast for $16 billion. The $30 billion, 30% value of Hulu worth $12 billion. These are fantastic. And yes, this, the Avatar uh, franchise is very, very valuable. The Simpsons, National Geographic, intensifying their exposure to, to India. They already had a very good reach in India, better than anybody in the media business. Unlike anybody else in media, if you and I knew the head, uh, in fact, the current head uh, of, of, Disney, of India Disney. It isn't Disney India, it's India Disney. They, they, they don't just take European fables. They go back to the Mahabharata and all this folklore from India his, India's uh, ancient history. And in Bollywood, uh, uh, Disney is a very significant Bollywood player. And, and this only that's happens- the hottest market, That's the hottest market on earth. That's what Tim Cook is trying to do with, uh, oh. with Apple is to reorient toward the Indian consumer, the Indian business customer. It's a so, huge, huge market. Yeah. And- and you put, you know, uh, the five times or six times multiple on the on the earnings they have by actualizing three billion dollars in cost cuts and things. This deal has already paid for itself several times over. It doesn't take fuzzy math to see that this was a brilliant deal. And it would worry me about any financier that's trying to take a run at this company that that doesn't understand that. It just shows they really don't understand the media business and don't understand these assets at all. And has no strategic mind. I I, I really would worry. 
I want to go. I want to go down one more avenue, avenue with you, and then we'll we'll get your prediction. And I'll 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 let I'll let you go for the night. And by the way, this has been spectacular. I just want to thank you so much for the time that you've given us all. Oh, uh, thank you for the, all the homework you've done. I'm I'm so course. flattered by your platform. Of course, I I uh, I want to ask you about the the uh, the social aspect of some of Disney's problems and whether or not you feel Iger has handled it well in the past and is equipped to continue to handle it because this stuff is not going away or getting easier. Uh, we, we saw the battle between Ron DeSantis and uh, Bob Iger. Uh, we, we've seen all sorts of uh, other brands having problems uh, with Twitter activists from one side or the other. Obviously, the most notable case in the last year was Bud Light over trans rights issues Disney has had issues um, trying to, at first, not stand up for uh, the gay and lesbian community, then pivoting, but pivoting too late, so they got no credit from anyone. This stuff's really hard, and I don't know that Nelson Peltz necessarily has the answer to it. Um, I know there are people on one side who would say, Disney has to stay out of politics and social issues, period. Easier said than done when you're employing and working with creatives. Easier said than done when you're trying to appeal to the younger generation where they really do care about this stuff. Is, is Iger the right guy and can he pick the right successor for a world in which the politics, the social politics are inevitably um, going to be in, in a clash with entertainment and, and, and large multinational corporations? Like what, how, 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 do, how does the board think that through? How does Iger think that through? Uh, I think this is a board that uh, has a diverse politics on it from Mary Barra and Safra Katz and across the board, you have quite a, uh, a wide uh, range of, of ideologies, politics, and the rest. But when it comes to understanding the role of a great American icon in the global market and understanding who they stand, who this company stands for in terms of principles, uh, patriotism, uh, but also enlightened self-interest is uh, Alexis de Tocqueville came to this country in 1840, wrote the book, Democracy in America. And in there, he talked about uh, that it isn't the tightness of our laws that he studied to take back to France. It's the looseness. It's because you have business leaders uh, and clergy and other people in the community as civic leaders that stand up to fortify what the laws stand for. That's all Iger's ever done. That's what Michael Dell does. That's what, I mean, you look at Apple, you look at any, who, uh, JP Morgan, what the investments they've been putting into social investments into Detroit and elsewhere is that the, the top perform Nike, uh, uh, the top performing companies, uh, including social media companies that of course are, are been soaring, uh, in the markets, uh, have been very, uh, forceful on, on social impact issues, very successful. If you take a look at the alt-right investments, whether or not it's Strive or, or Truth Social or whatever American social conservative values, is there disasters? The alt the alt the alt-right economy has been a fiasco. Is that uh, did Target and uh, Anheuser Busch uh, trip over the execution? Yeah, their their execution was imperfect. But look at all those other companies. They're, it's not just Patagonia, you know. It's that it's all these other companies that are our top performers have not uh, moved a dime off of this uh, front, but they do take a look at the social issues that matter. You know, Michael Dell is a matrix of 100 issues that they track. What are the ones that matter most of their constituencies? That's what Bob Iger does. When the uh, 130 companies signed on to this Don't Say Gay petition 
and Bob uh, Chapek uh, vacillated and then pulled out and misadvised by his government affairs guy. They brought a spotlight onto themselves. So their employees were picketing that certain groups of good customers were happy. And that's when the trust plummeted in the Edelman Trust Survey. I've looked at the at the Disney specific data, not from I got it from Edelman, not from Disney. And it plummeted uh, when Iger started because then he said, oh, my goodness. Then we he did a pivot and decided they're going to sign on. And he said that Governor DeSantis had made a backdoor deal with him that the legislation wouldn't be as restrictive as it was. And DeSantis said, what are you talking about? We never had a, a lunch, a dinner, a meeting, an email. Show me any correspondence. We've a tweet, nothing. We've had, I never, we've never spoken. And uh, which is pretty amazing. The largest employer never spoke with the governor, but that's a different issue. And, and so it was like Chapek was standing between moving trains. That's when the trust indices fell. What's happened since it soared under Bob Iger coming in there because he said, we stand for something. He said, I remember a period of time when, when companies were, um, and business leaders just watched as a uh, demonic forces uh, tore a country apart. Talking about Second World War, of course, and things that happened in Germany. He said, we need to take a stand when it's appropriate, when it affects our our shareholders' interests. Uh, and what this reminds us, and in, in this is what all business leaders just about did in January 6th. They're not doing it right now because there's no reason they have to. They don't want to be partisan players. They're not in there as politicians. Uh, but if something tears apart the fabric of society, then they speak out. It's it's in their enlightened self interest to not have angry shareholders. And Jeff, there, Je um, there, so there are there there are voices that say um, some of the content coming not just from Disney but from mainstream media in general is partially at fault for tearing uh, society apart because it's getting too far into these lanes that are controversial. Um, I, I suppose it's impossible uh, to to make films and, and television shows that never offend anyone. I just I, I guess well, Bob Iger it, has shown it's good gotten much harder. I, gu I guess raising, is what I would say. You're raising a good a good issue. He a very good point that never discussed in this debate. We're the first ones to talk about it. I believe is that Bob Iger will get involved in a controversial decision about what should be greenlighted in terms of content and uh, pulling out Roseanne Barr. For all of her hate speech in their number one ABC show, the number one show on television at that moment, uh, he killed it. And, and and people were horrified. How could he do that? And he said, because this was harmful to American society and it, it's going to ultimately hurt the Disney brand. Roseanne Barr is still screaming mad about that. Sony, around that same time, had come out with a, a film that, uh, you know, was making a, a joke about uh, shooting the, the dictator uh, uh, running, I think, North Korea, whatever it was. It's just yeah. like things that. That, that led to, of course, this big email cyber security attack and everything else on Sony. And Iger said, you know, we don't need to do stuff like that. He shows remarkably good judgment, and he's instilled that in his people about when to get involved, which is, which is to be responsible. And what he reminds us is that doing good is not antithetical to doing well. All these different constituents don't need to be at war with each other. And that was the founding generation of the Business Roundtable. They were created. I knew that whole generation well. Tom Watson of IBM, Irving Shapiro of DuPont, and Reginald Jones, Jack Welch's predecessor at GE, they believe that they have a license to operate from society, and if they violate the terms of that license, it can be torn up. Who else agreed with that? Milton Friedman. Believe it or not, at that same time, everybody loves to quote this 1971 uh, New York Times Magazine article that the only responsibility of business is the bottom line. They didn't read that, that article. On page, uh, on, I think it's um, paragraph 23, of that long uh, New York Times Magazine column, article, essay. Uh, he calls it um, 
social amenities, what the rest of us would call, you know, ESG, which is a troubled term and troubled issues. But it, it, yeah. it's so corporate social impact. Even Milton Friedman recognized that it has long term value for shareholders. So let's not start creating these caricatures and things. And um, uh, Iger is not some some wild eyed leftist and he's not a, uh, a, a demonic right winger. He cuts it right down the center. And that's where most of the American business community is. Uh, in fact, I even hate the term progressive because it's been destroyed by the uh, the media and politicians in the last decade. The progressives fr from the 1920s onward were a very centrist group. That's who the business community was, it, like Jane Addams with Hull House and immigration support and the the, the greening, uh, uh, the American beautification programs, environmentalism. Gifford Pinchot was, you know, was a was a, a Republican appointee, the first head of the National Park System and the Department of the Interior. It was uh, under Teddy Roosevelt, a Republican at the time. Is that <clears throat> these were progressive spirits? In fact, the the last national ticket on a progressive ticket was a was a Republican and a senator uh, working uh, side by side as a president vice president ticket. They're very centrist, so that's where the business community is, and they they are not isolationists. Uh, they are not uh, xenophobic, uh, and they're not protectionists. They're trying to figure out how do we, and they don't feel that either party maybe quite answers what they need. And Bob Iger is the kind of person, you know, that helps guide things down the center. I wish he was running for president. He would have done awfully, awfully well. Maybe getting through the primaries would have been a little bit crazy, but he would have governed very well. So I really, pre I really appreciate that take. And I genuinely believe that that conflict uh, that all of us in in business uh, have to we'll we'll have to face that down more so as the years go by, and we'll have to in most cases resist the urge to you know necessarily come down on one side or the other of every social issue. And of course, we've got stakeholders that apply pressure. We've got shareholders, we've got employees, we've got customers. So it's it's not easy for anyone. Well, actually, you're Disney, right. It's the it's, social it's, change it's of the night. The social change of the 1960s was civic leaders. Business leaders were there, and the business roundtable joined them, but they weren't at the very front of the lines. It was, they, yeah. We had clergy across faiths. We had university presidents and others. We we had professional associations, trade union leaders. Where are they all now? Every time something happens, people say, well, where are the CEOs? They'll be there when we need them at the, if there's a crisis. But how about everybody else in, in civil society to join them too? They're not the only ones that have to speak out. They're not politicians. I like I, I like that I like that concept a lot. It it shouldn't start it shouldn't start necessarily with a, a publicly traded company CEO. Uh, all right, I want to ask you before we head out, what do you think is going to happen here? So uh, we'll we'll have the proxy vote. We think sometime in March. Have they set a date? Uh, excuse me, April. Have they set a date or not yet? Yeah. It, it'll be in April, and I believe they they have uh, set a date. The the, okay. the date for this, I think, is April fifteenth. An ominous day, right? Like, yeah. Tax, like tax day. Oh, I'm April fifth. I think. I'm sorry, not tax okay. day. April fifth. So a lot okay. safer date. Yeah. Who's so who's voting? Who who's voting with the activists? Not which funds in particular, but is there a constituency that you think uh, wants to do something different or have board representation from hedge fund managers? Is is does that consistent? constituency even exists or probably not? What do you think? I don't think there is a constituency. I think they see uh, Pelts and Perlmutter as an entertaining sideshow. Uh, and if, a, if it wasn't for just a few media players that give them a spotlight, they'd be completely ignored and, and sent back to the shuffleboard. Okay. And you think the turnover, uh, excuse me, the turnaround at Disney 
is already in progress. There are some big strategic things they're going to have to figure out with ESPN. But broadly speaking, from your writing, it sounds as though you think this turnaround is not still to come. It's in progress on a number of crucial fronts. And you seem to think the shareholders will agree with that assessment. So much so that I wished that I, 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 I haven't been buying Disney right now. I, I wished I had been because all the sell side analysts that you would know better than I, uh, Wall Street sell side analysts are, are expecting great things on Wednesday. Maybe their expectations are too high, but they're expecting they're expecting great things. I don't see anybody lining up uh, with with the uh, the activist investors are going to be deactivated pretty soon on this front. And I, I do think that. Uh, there is a lot to do there. They're certainly not out of the woods. They've they've got plans or you know some and partnership ideas. You've seen what's coming along for ESPN. I mean, you look at the demise of Sports Illustrated. You just realize how crowded space have gotten. But uh, if you take a look at the you know we had six sets of activists this time last year coming after Salesforce. What did yeah. Benioff do? He just blew them away. He didn't antagonize them, but he is uh, what up one hundred and sixty percent or so. And it's it's uh, he did the, the playbook. The he cut he cut costs. He you know he, he, I think he I think he added to the buyback. He did he did the thing that's working for all of these tech giants. And uh, Disney, in fairness, in twenty two they put through a, a seven billion dollar cost cutting program. So it's not as though they they haven't been listening. Uh, they got discipline on the production of, of of content. I mean I don't know. I feel like. I feel like the the turnaround is already at at, at work. It it doesn't appear in the share price, but that'll be the last place it, it shows up, I guess. No, it, we see it creeping up in the share price. Uh, yeah. Unlike unlike other great turnarounds where the share price has plummeted at this early date, one year in, uh, but we're already seeing very encouraging signs. So uh, I I do think we're we're going to see uh, we're going to see great things here, and, and uh, it is uh, you know our most ad- admired uh, media baron is at the helm and he's pulled together the best of, I mean, it's amazing. He, he brought in people that you might've thought some of them would have been resentful by bringing back some like, like Kevin Mayer or Tom Staggs. And, and what a great sign it is that they have, that he has such magnetism to bring people like that back who actually know the space. They know what the, the, the triumphs were. They know what the plans were. Uh, the Paramount, uh, which I, I really love, leadership Paramount, uh, but it's down thirty dollars to uh, to, uh, to fourteen over over last year, and you know Warner Brothers. Yeah, this this situation is not that for for sure. Uh, yeah, Jeff, mean, Jeff, Warner I want Brothers to uh, fifteen dollars down uh, to ten dollars from last year. So, like, right. it's what a contrast Disney is. They're the strongest performer in the space uh, of a legacy media company. Jeff, I want to thank you so much for your time and uh, for educating us all on what's going on with Disney. I really appreciate it. Will you come back uh, after the vote for a uh, for a, a, a I, I guess to, to look at what the actual results were and where Disney stands? Can we do that this spring? I'd eagerly come back and talk right. about that or talk about Boeing or talk about the governance of Harvard University or anything you want to talk about. I'm up for you, Josh. Right. I, I loved right. it. You're you're your questions were the best ever. I, I, I never ran into somebody oh, wow. with as much insight. It was a little scary. Thank, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, Professor Jeff Sonnenfeld. Jeff, thanks again. We will talk to We will check in with you later this spring. Really appreciate it. And thanks to all of you for watching. Make sure you uh, go ahead and smash that like button. Don't feel shy about leaving a comment. And we will see you all very soon.
Greatholtz Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Ritholtz Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as and may not be used in connection with an offer to sell or solicitation of an offer to buy or hold an interest in any security or investment product. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Ritholtz Wealth Management unless a client service agreement is in place.